with so many topics to talk about and endless movies to discuss. This is something that came to me kind of last minute, but a topic that I think is worthy of discussion. Cinematography. When I first started to make this podcast, I had a slew of ideas and things I want to talk about. You know, different actors and actresses that I thought had flown under the radar or are incredibly underrated and wouldn't talk about their less known work or their work that I think that hasn't gotten recognition it deserves. Well, that's something I couldn't decide what movie to watch. And if you're like me and collect movies, finding something to watch isn't the problem. It's deciding what movie to watch because you just have endless stacks of movies that you, you, know, you have on your to-watch list. And, you know, you kind of constantly get more movies. You can never really decide what to get. So I ended up picking up a movie called Everly. Now, didn't really know anything about this film. It was a low-budget movie. It was like an action film. came out back in 2014. Uh, directed by Joe Lynch. The director of Wrong Turn 2. Although, no matter how good this movie is, this is not what we'll talk about. Although, it kind of did spark the conversation of today, which is cinematography. All too often, people give a lot of credit to whether or not to see a movie. I'm sorry, all too often people give a lot of credit to the you know, writers, directors, the producers, and kind of base or judge whether or not to see a movie based on those three positions. Which, by no means, am I demeaning their jobs or saying that they, the work they do isn't important. However, I think that the cinematographer is an equally important job that doesn't get the recognition it deserves as far as to the mainstream. Of course, I'm not saying people in the industry don't recognize the position and, and its value. Mark and Keynes always talk about you know, the three key positions. Writer, director, producer. From the writer of, the director of, the producer of. You never hear anything about the cinematographer or the DP. Um, and I think, and I think that kind of is because a lot of people don't understand what they do, um, and it's kind of hard to market something if you, if your person, if your audience, who you're marketing to doesn't understand what you're trying to explain to them. Um, but I think, I guess, I think, you know, the DPs have one of the most important jobs on set because they're responsible overall for how the film looks. A prime example of this is Venom. When I first saw the film in theaters, I thought it was a little off pace. Nevertheless, I enjoyed it. But the thing that really pulled me out of it, though, was the cinematography. And the poor choices made by DP, the cinematographer, Matthew Liberto. Liberto. I'm not butchering the name. I do apologize. Um, now, as a whole, I think he's a really good DP. And I understand. I don't understand what the hell happened with Venom. Uh, the key idea I'm talking about, he did films like Black Swan, Pie... Running for a dream, and of course, a star is born. What you want to ask her for for best cinematography? He did Venom and a star is born literally the same year. Kind of goes back to thinking when Sandra Bullock herself accepted the Razzle Award for worst actress for All About Steve, and then the very next night she accepted the Oscar for The Blind Side. So it's again, I guess you know, he made a couple films a year, make one incredibly bad one just for shits and giggles, I guess, and they make something really great. I'm not really sure what the decision there was. Um, so, then again, with Venom, I don't know where the issue was. It could have been a one-off completely. I mean, you could blame director Ruben Flusher, which is what most people do when there's an issue with the movie, blame the director. I mean, he did do Gangster Squad, which, again, I haven't seen in years. Um, I remember liking the movie when I saw it in theaters. But I do remember it having a really weird overall feel to it. It reminded me of like, almost like 
in modern day terms, somebody put like an Instagram filter over the lines, giving it a horrible tint. It kind of made it look kind of animated. Between that and Ryan Gosling's like over the top accent, it kind of really just took me out. It just kind of felt really kind of cartoonish in a way, you know, which kind of just kind of gave me a bad taste for the film, I guess. I mean, it makes me wonder though, was it like if they went out and pulled Kevin Smith and just shot them being black and white like Smith did with Clerks? I think without a doubt that movie would have looked 10 times better. We gave it a more crisp feel. We gave it more of a gangster-like kind of vibe. Like in an old 1940s gangster movie. I think it really would have kind of set the tone a little better. It even would have played in with that over-the-top feel it kind of had. But again, Ruben also directed some great movies too. Like he did Uncharted with Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland. Which actually really well the box office, if I remember correctly. I remember seeing it in theaters and really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, again, even the cinematography from that, I thought was good. So, maybe he didn't butcher too bad. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what happened with Venom. But again, he also, again, he did movies like Zombieland, too, which really put him on the map. And he was just took off from Zombieland. Again, I don't know, because he did a couple movies in between Zombieland and Uncharted. He did uh, 30 Minutes or Less, Venom. Of course, he did Uncharted, um, not Uncharted 2. Zombieland 2, Double Tap, which I did like. Um, 30 Minutes or Less, I remember seeing in theaters, Thought it was a, it was a comedy. Thought it was funny. You know, it was a decent movie. Not too much. Comes to my head. I'll stop having to think about it. Yeah, I haven't saw it in years though, so I would. I really can't say too much on that one off the top of my head. On judgment wise, I don't know. I always thought Ruben's work as a director was kind of inconsistent, but I feel like he kind of reminds me of like Ridley Scott, who when he hits, he hits. Again, Ridley Scott again has a high expectation and a very high reference because I mean when Scott hits he hits Blade Runner Alien um Gladiator and then when he misses you know he has his, his less you know notable work so I mean I don't think Ruben ever hit it as heavy as Scott has but I think there's potential there um we're talking about great cinematography movies that really stand out to me Spider-Man 2 Sam Raimi's one with Hooper, uh to, with Tobey Maguire. Uh, recently rewatched that movie, maybe two months ago or so. Um, and without knowing who the DP was in the movie, I was just taken back by some of the shots in the film. It was just so, they were just so gorgeous. Just these really amazing looking shots. And I'm just sitting there watching, I'm like, damn, who was the DP in this movie? So, you know, of course, in the credits roll, I'm sitting there watching the credits saying who the DP was. And to my surprise, which I probably shouldn't be surprised, Come to find out, the DP was Bill Pope, who by far is my favorite uh, cinematographers. Definitely in my top five. Um, he just happened to also be the DP of my favorite movies um, that I've rediscovered in recent years, The Matrix. Again, I saw it when I was a kid. Don't remember much about it. I uh, revisited it a few years back and just kind of completely fell in love with it. Um, and part of that, too, was because of the cinematography and how amazing it looked. So then kind of went back and, you know, start you know watching more as I'm watching films and kind of revisiting old films I look at who is the DP on the film kind of like I've been doing for years with like writers and directors and even producers at some points you know start kind of pick up that way I just kind of really fell in love with a lot of Bill Post work you know, speaking of which with you know Matrix um, if you haven't seen the movie in a while or haven't seen it at all I encourage you to watch it, and if you have seen it, rewatch it again. 
the first one. Yeah, I thought the first one really stood out. Again, someone talking about Pope's work on that film was just fantastic. Again, I know the second and third one kind of always get shit on Reloaded and Revelations. I actually did like them. I do see them for being letdowns compared to the first one. They definitely don't hold up compared to the first Matrix. Um, part of it, too, obviously, Reloaded, I do recall quite vividly a couple of scenes where it just kind of felt animated, like the scene where Neo is fighting uh, Agent Smith and he makes like hunters of himself and he's kind of fighting in the courtyard. It just kind of looks very animated. Um, again, CGI wasn't the best back then, but also I think part of it was the cinematography. You know, they could have shot it a little differently, got a little more one um, tighter shots to make it with the you know, stunt doubles to make it look a little more crisp. Again, I'm not a cinematographer. I'm just you know saying compared to the first film, I think they definitely did not. Didn't bring their game, but again, I still love all three of the Magic movies. The original trilogy, I still watch them on a yearly basis and revisit them often. But again, that's kind of the point of I'm going off topic. Of that's kind of the whole point I'm going with the Matrix is that with action movies, one of the most important things is the movie needs to look crisp. If your action movie isn't visibly, visibly appealing, you already lost half the battle. I think that's where Venom really kind of lost me, is that it didn't have that crisp look in the action sequences. Uh, again, I can't really blame the cinematographer, because again, he actually wants to know his, his filmography before recording the podcast. I realized that he worked on one of my favorite films. Again, you know, oh, I have a lot of favorite films. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, which is something I actually did not see in theaters. I had mixed feelings about the trailer. Again, then they had a bunch of issues from the marketing side. Originally, it was called Edge of Tomorrow, then they called it Live, Die, Repeat. So I actually kind of stayed away and avoided the film um, for quite a while. I actually didn't see it so years after it came out, probably in 2019 is probably the first time I saw it. it came out in 2014. Um, but again, once I saw it the first time, I fell in love with that movie. Again, a huge fan of Doug Lennon. Um, love his work. And honestly, I was never a big fan of Emily Blunt before seeing that movie. But that movie just made me a huge Emily Blunt fan. Um, but again, speaking again here in Hope about Cinematography, I think Edge of Tomorrow had great cinematography. Really crisp shots and scenes. The action sequences really stood out. And I think that kind of is what makes an action movie is cinematography plays a huge part in it. I mean, again, like I said, he did... I don't know, I don't know what the hell happened on Venom, but he did uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which was really good. He, I mean, he had two Oscar nominations. Uh, even, and he had one win as a DP. So, again, I don't know. I mean, it can't be all of because, I mean, he didn't, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, still kind of, I'm still kind of torn that one, though. It kind of, kind of got me there for a loop to kind of try to figure out exactly what went wrong. Because, like, you know, I guess you run the perfect play, but it doesn't always, 
play out ideally. I mean, but it can't. But, you know, getting slightly off topic in the moment of haze there, getting back to topic, I mean, another great example of this would be Speed. Um, directed by Jan DeBont, a top-notch cinematographer turned director. Uh, he was the cinematographer of films like Die Hard and Leave Weapon 3. Again, Leave Weapon 3 is when the franchise took a turn for, you know, took a, a, took a turn for a different approach, if you will. I uh, went more into the comedy and less of the action drama. But as far as being an action movie, it's still, I think, kind of firing all cylinders. If I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but Die Hard speaks for itself. You know, I mean, you really can't, you know, you, Die Hard speaks for itself. So therefore, we're just going to say, Eagle Weapon 3, based off memory probably on the action sequences fired on all cylinders I remember a couple of sequences that were well done don't remember the whole movie uh, shot by shot though um, but Speed wasn't his own his uh, his first directorial attempt but it was his best film according to IMBD ratings and critics alike because Speed if nothing else what was great about it was the cinematography and that's I think what really Hope that film stayed out. He did Speed Two as well. But Speed Two, eh. I like Speed Two. But that's more of a guilty pleasure, I guess you'd say. But again, if you watch Speed Two, it definitely doesn't have that same crispness that the first one does. And I feel like that's kind of where, in his own right, he was a great cinematographer. I think he could have went on to be one of the best. And he said, "There's the director side." And his directorial attempts weren't great, but it was his cinematography skills and his ability to just capture shots and do crisp and just do crisp visuals. That I think really gave him the upper hand there, and why he made you know films like Speed that really worked. Um, this is kind of part of the conversation that says, without a doubt, you know, Speed was an example of great cinematography and just have argument made you have a bad movie that looks amazing and will perform um, on every aspect I'm sorry <laughs> back up mess that one up alright without a doubt you know in this conversation my whole point making is that you can have a bad movie that looks amazing and it will perform it will outperform shit at the beginning alright my whole point I'm just trying to make is that you know you can have a bad movie that looks amazing and it will work but you can't have a great movie that looks shitty and have that same effect um point being that we're gonna go with a movie called Sucker Punch for those of you who remember the movie it was a Zack Snyder's film that came out in 2012 I believe it was Larry Fong um again one of my favorite directors uh of cinematography uh, it's tied with Bill Pip. Larry Fong was the DP on Sucker Punch. As bad as me might have been, that movie was stunning looking. Okay, you can't argue the fact that it was visually appealing. And it just, it was like eye candy. I mean, that's where it goes. A lot of people were saying that that movie was, eh, like, it kind of, it looked great. But the storyline was horrible. And they said Zack Snyder just needs to not write anything. Like, he's really good at directing but really bad storytelling. So he like he just needs to stay within the script and you just give him a good script and he can visualize 
visualize and bring the vision to life. He just can't come up with a story himself. The storyline definitely was weak in, in Psychopods. Again, I haven't seen it in years. But I do remember the film quite truly. I remember the storyline being weak, but I remember just the story itself. Um, I mean, sorry, the story itself. The film itself, just the overall visuals being very stunning. And that is, what is movies? Movies are visually storytelling. Film is a visual art. It's storytelling visually. So it kind of looks stunning. I do need to revisit Sucker Punch because I know I bring this movie up and kind of you know, talking about it and praising its visually stunning effects. And, you know, again, the story that I remember being very weak, but if you just look at the film itself, again, I don't much remember too much about it. I do need to revisit it, but I do remember it just being visually stunning. Um, it was the opposite of Clerks. Clerks was, was shot completely in black and white with the camera never moving, leaning completely on the story storyline and dialogue to carry the film where Sucker Punch is the complete opposite leaning completely on the visuals and action sequences to carry the film and I think that this is kind of where I'm getting to, <laughs> kind of the point I've been getting to for the last 20 minutes or so is that cinematography plays a huge part in the film I mean you could have again it goes either way I mean you can have a really good movie with bad cinematography or neutral cinematography I'm not going to say that the cinematography on the first is bad. Uh, I would say it's neutral because it was very plain. And Kevin Smith even says on all of his podcasts and when he shows that for the first half of his career, he never moved the damn camera. Like, he literally would just put it there and that was it. He never moved the camera. And you can see kind of, if you watch Clerks and then Clerks shoot back to back, you can see by 2006 when he did Clerks 2, at that point in his career, he start moving the camera a little bit and you start kind of playing with the idea of telling the story with moving the camera and, and kind of getting different sequences and shots to help move the story along. But again, Clerks was, I mean, I love Clerks. And I, again, that's an example where, you know, you can have a great script and a storyline and you can tell the entire movie just with the story. And one where, you're, you're, where your whole movie is being heavily relied on by the script and the actors and just you know just having the core fundamentals of a good story good performances and just kind of playing that out and it works and it can work with certain films like Clerks works amazing you couldn't do John Wick like that you couldn't have John Wick with you know the camera sitting still and it being heavy dialogue because it's a movie that's visually supposed to be stunning it's an action film and that's where Sucker Punch really excels Although the script and the overall storyline was very bland, the visuals were stunning. Like, I remember it being a visually stunning film. I just remember it being very gorgeous. Everything was just very, it was like eye candy. It was very appealing, like, as far as the visuals go. But again, Zack Snyder does very good visual effects. Like, when he does films, his films generally look very crisp. Larry Fong, as a DP, hands down, always does great work. You know, Larry Fong did films like 300, crisp-looking shots. I think that was Zack Snyder. The crisp-looking shots, very well done. Um, Kong Skull Island so like, was, was something Larry Fong did. Again, crisp-looking shots, very well done. As far as visually going, this is a storytelling of just kind of capturing the scenes. Gordon, chef's kiss. 
he knows what he's doing and that kind of helps with your visual storytelling um and yeah I think that's kind of better explains the episode <laughs> that I've been trying to explain it. it's just kind of going on a rant on cinematography and then again if you have a great cinematographer it can carry a shitty storyline an overall bad movie if you have a great strip with a story that doesn't need to be told visually like Clerks um, you can get away with just having the movie sit right in front of you and I mean, the, ca- the, movie, the camera is sitting right in front of the actors and not moving it at all and it works brilliantly um, even like Gone Baby Gone Ben Affleck's director debut his shots like he didn't try moving the camera around a lot he didn't take all of his experience as an actor and think oh, I work this director and that director and kind of put all the works and all the tricks and trainings into trying to tell the story with a lot of flashy camera angles and uh, now I'm using poor uh, technical terms in this episode uh, but he didn't really think he'd do a lot of panning and medium shots, wide shots and all this other stuff. He literally just had the camera sit there and he just had the actors do their job and he relied heavily on the script um, and really just told the story for what it was and, and it was well paced and it was really well done. He definitely hit it out of the park with Gone Back Be Gone. Um, and that's kind of moving on with the films. You can kind of see him bringing more to the table as far as changing up how much... Um, camera work he does so again this episode was more or less I guess a praise for cinematographers and kind of the underrated job that I feel that kind of is one of those important jobs on set that gets kind of underrated um, I know I've had a piss poor job of explaining exactly what I'm trying to say it across um, it's easier said than done I mean trying to explain cinematography I think is really hard the first time I was explaining what cinematography was and what the cinematographer did it took me a little while to understand exactly what that was um, so I know me explaining it probably isn't that good um, the, see, I mean again it's easier you know, if it's done right, it's really hard to notice. And see, I think the thing too is that when you watch a lot of movies, when you look at the cinematography, it's kind of if a movie is done right, you can't tell if there's good cinematography or bad cinematography. It just, it just looks it looks good. Like there's a standard, okay? If you do the the basic, it looks good. You're you're not gonna catch a one. To if it stands out to be, it has to either be really piss poor or really excellent for you to notice something different. Um, watching the film if you're not if you're, if you're not trained to know what to look for which I wasn't trained to like, you know, I dropped out of film school uh, before we really got into the deep dives of you know the 12 steps of cinematography or whatever it is I mean I read a couple of books on it but I didn't actually you know, get that good hands on experience um, I remember film class my teacher went over cinematography briefly and got like a kind of an idea for film appreciation and how like a film appreciation class and you know what a cinematographer does and kind of like a half class uh, lesson one I guess you could say um, so again when, it, when it's great it's easier when it's either really bad or really good to kind of understand and once you start watching a lot of movies 
I feel like you really start to say, okay, well, this is what I'm looking for, to see the difference in what stands out. I mean, that's how I kind of train myself into understanding and picking out good scores. Um, when you guys listen to a lot of movie podcasts, like Junk Food Cinema, they have, they talk a lot about, like, you know, uh, cinematographers, directors, scores, uh, costume design. They'll actually name, name off people who they really like as far as, like, cinematographers and um, people who did scores. And it really kind of made me think, okay, well, I need to kind of pay more attention when I'm watching movies and kind of get a better understanding of that. Um, so I'm going to end the episode with that and just kind of say for this episode to kind of get a better understanding of what cinematography is uh, if you're not, you know, actually in film school and it's kind of hard to get a good grasp of it, I would say watch a movie like Mad Max where it has just fantastic cinematography and it really stands out for being what cinematography is. It's like the action sequences. The best way to explain that is that when you watch the film, everything stays in frame. The camera never moves. All the action is in frame, so it's kind of like you know where your eyes going. So it just it looks crisp. It looks good. You don't have a lot of cutaways and a lot of um, like disproportionized shots. Whereas if you watch something like Killer Elite, which I haven't seen since it came out in theaters, I remember just not liking the movie at all. It looked very choppy, and everything just kind of felt. Kind of like half assed, it was very rushed, I guess you could say. Um, so, again, it really kind of took you out of the storyline, which is the whole point of cinematography is kind of to tell the story visually and keep you in, indulged in the story. Um, and doing a lot of excessive cuts and choppy camera shots, I think, kind of takes you out of it. Um, again, you know, somebody's going to say somewhere that, oh, somebody's come along and say, well, have you ever seen. Um, the Board of the Board of Ultimatum, um, which the Bourne movies, they really took a new light to action sequences. Um, and now, so I was wrapping up, I'm just wrapping up now. If you look at action sequences, the Bourne series kind of took a new path on action sequences. They did a lot more of the, of the fast paced, um, choppy shots, but the shots, the way they did it, it, made, it feels more intense because of the way. The shots take place, you feel the anticipation of each of each below. Whereas in the olden days, the kung fu movies and your action films, they would shoot them all wide scenes, so you see all the action play out because you're watching it like that. Like the, the martial arts itself is the art with itself. Whereas with those movies, it kind of kind of reinvented the action movie genre and really worked. So yeah, I know I did a poor job explaining that. <laughs> So we're going to end it with that, and I will see you guys later. So uh, I'm working on getting all the social set up so you guys can tell me what is your favorite action movie. Who's your favorite cinematographer? And look forward to hearing from you guys. I will see you all tomorrow.